this is Chris Westfall, and this is the Financial Executive Podcast. The Jumpstart Our Business Startups Act, or JOBS Act, will be celebrating its fifth anniversary in April. When it was passed in 2012, the hopes were that streamlining the financial disclosure process and opening up crowdfunding platforms for capital raising would encourage more companies to go public. The Financial Executives Research Foundation, in partnership with Donnelly Financial Solutions, is working on a research paper focusing on the JOBS Act and the impact on emerging growth companies born out of the legislation. In this issue of the podcast, we speak with Joseph Hall, a partner at the law firm of Davis Polk. Mr. Hall is head of the firm's corporate governance practice and is a former managing executive for policy at the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Today, he often advises companies on the disclosure relief embedded in the JOBS Act, as well as emerging growth companies. So the first question I wanted to ask was, uh, I mean, how has uh, the emerging growth company status changed the IPO market uh, since it was instated? Um, you know, I don't really think that the Jobs Act changed the IPO market. Um, you know, it, it definitely changed the way uh, IPOs are marketed, um, and it, it definitely provided some real benefits to to companies that meet the EGC um, standard. But you know, I think the the IPO market is is more demand driven than it is supply driven, um, or at least I, I would think that the you know the demand is a much more important uh, uh, factor than than supply is. Um, and so if you've got uh, you know frothy markets with high valuations, I think you're more likely to see people trying to take advantage of that. Um, but um, yeah, that said, um, uh, you know it's certainly a um, a benefit to be able to file confidentially, um, uh, which you know I think is an easier step for a lot of companies to take. Um, and so at the margin, there may be some companies that will go ahead and take that step when they would not have sorry when they would not have done a um, you know public filing off the bat. Um, whether whether that company is the company that's actually going to make it all the way through the process, uh, you know, is you know, sort of you know maybe a, harder to know. Um, clearly, the um, the ability to uh, defer your your Sarbanes-Oxley um, audit, your 404 attestation, uh, you know, for for the EGC period is a, a great benefit to companies in terms of cost savings, at least um, right at the beginning. You know, there's obviously a lot of um, uh, just transaction costs associated with going through an IPO, and uh, if you um, have to immediately upon finishing the IPO begin planning for that 404 attestation uh, on your you know, essentially your your second 10K, um, that's just an awful lot of uh, front end loaded costs. So it's it's been you know very um, I think beneficial to companies to be able to delay that for a period of time. And then some of the other things, the Jobs Act that uh, you know I think help the process or make the process um, uh, you know allow you to get more information out in the process than you had before. The things like the testing the waters communications, which have um, been very popular, um, and uh, you know I think just about every every company um, you know going through a regular IPO process is going to have some uh, what we call TTW conversations. I think that probably helps companies. Get a more realistic view earlier on in the process about what their valuation is likely to be. 
what the investor reception is likely to be because otherwise the only people they can talk to are you know are their are their underwriters and their underwriters analysts um, uh, you know it's not it's not the same thing as talking to an actual investor so I think those sorts of um, elements of the jobs act um, you know I think have changed the process for the better um, uh, but uh, you know and I I think back you know, five years ago, whenever the whenever the Jobs Act was passed in 2012, you, you read a lot about you know, the Jobs Act encouraging um, you know companies to to go ahead and go public that wouldn't have gone public otherwise. I don't think that we've seen that. Yeah, I mean, not even with the confidential draft registration filing. I mean, I guess you're saying it made it easier, but it didn't necessarily change the market. Yeah, I, this is what I'm what I'm what I mean to say is that. There was a company that was planning to go public or that wanted to go public. You know, I, I just don't think that the passage of the Jobs Act, you know, was the definitive or you know was the trigger that that that, that got them to go public. I think if a company was ready to go public, they were um, a good candidate for, for going public, uh, and you know felt that it was time for them to um, to uh, you know access that that uh, that capital market. I think the company was going to do it. Um, and the fact that the, the Jobs Act came along made that a little bit easier, but I, I, I don't know that there are that many companies that would not have gone public but for the Jobs Act. How about for those companies that you know filed for ECG status and, and made it all the way to the end, actually went into a financial reporting company? And um, I mean, how has that transition been for those? And and you know, has it been? Smoother, easier. How long do they have to start to prepare before they make that transition? Well, you know, other other than the 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 four hundred four, the Sox four hundred four attestation. Um, uh, once you're a public company, uh, the changes are are not all that uh, significant from where things stood before 2012. Um, you know the 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 entry requirements are a lot easier or somewhat easier under the Jobs Act. You know, two years of financials instead of three years of financials, um, reduced executive compensation disclosure, stuff like that. Um, you know, but a company that that makes it through the confidential review process, makes it through the the roadshow and you know prices and starts trading um, and is now a, a regular public company. It's it's really the big ticket item is really the uh, you know the the, the 404, um, 404 uh, uh, relief. You know, other than that, it's you know it's a company. It's out there. It's followed by analysts. Hopefully, it's got a you know it's got uh, quarterly reports to file. Um, it's got earnings releases to, to to release, and it's got market expectations to uh, to manage and to meet. Um, so, um, you know, I think if you talk to a CEO and a CFO of a of an emerging growth company versus a CEO um, a CEO of a company maybe ten years earlier that was not an emerging growth company, um, only because the law hadn't been enacted, you know, I, I doubt you would find that their experience was 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 too different. So, you know, you mentioned four hundred four and and that being the biggest ticket item for those make companies making the transition. I mean, your experience, has there been any companies that you know of that sort of 404 was too much of a, a burden to bear? Or, I mean, how do they get, a, how do they uh, sort of adapt themselves to those requirements? 
you know, I think companies just realized that that was an expense that they were going to have to bear, um, and they go out and hire productivity or um, you know one of these consultants to help them get their internal controls in line. Um, but you know, if you're if you're thinking about you know going public, you're um, you, you're thinking about exposing yourself to public shareholders. You're trying to raise you know call it anywhere from fifty million to a billion dollars in in capital. Um, you know, the incremental expense of that SOX 404 um, requirement, I don't think was keeping companies from, from going public. You know, I, I think there was a lot of chatter um, like that, um, uh, you know, five years ago, six years ago, but um, it sort of makes a nicer story, I think, than, 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 than maybe it, uh, it, it, it's truth to it. Um, there were a lot of other things going on, <laughs> you know, to put it in, in the markets, you know, really, you know, certainly since the financial crisis, but, but uh, you know, even going, um, you know, back to, um, you know, the post-dot-com uh, crash, and there were, there were lots of other things going on in the markets that were causing companies uh, to, to delay their plans to go public, but I would, you know, as I said earlier, I would submit that the most important factor was, uh, you know, companies afraid that they weren't going to get the valuations that they, that they wanted. Um, that's that's uh, just back to the demand side. I mean, I think when when the demand is there and the valuations are good, um, you know, I don't think you have companies uh, saying, "Oh, I just I couldn't possibly you know, consider going public because I have to get this you know, SOX 404 attestation." Well how, well, how would you describe the demand dynamic today compared to what it was when the Jobs Act was initially? Uh, well, I think the, the the simplest metric is just to look at the uh, you know the S and P five hundred um, from what it was then to where it is now. We're obviously um, in record territory. Um, there's a lot of uh, uh, you know excitement in the market right now, um, and uh, you know we're hearing the bankers talk about a very robust IPO pipeline because of it. Um, obviously, things can turn very quickly. Um, uh, and 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 uh, and the the IPO market is probably the the most volatile of, of the capital markets. Things can turn on a dime, um, and it's very susceptible to external shocks. But you know we're hearing right now that you know in in the in the tech sector and also in the energy sector there are um, you know, there's quite a bit of backlogs. So the the bankers that we've been talking to are quite optimistic right now um, about the uh, you know about uh, uh, prospects for a good IPO year, um, and that, to my way of thinking, has got to be directly tied to, you know, where you see the stock market indices right now. And so you think that, that pipeline will, will, will be adopting ECG status going forward, or, or they have? Or- yeah, I, I, you know, I think this, I don't think there's any companies that, that, uh, that turn it down. You know, I think uh, the statistics are something like, I don't know, 98% of, of IP companies um, by number are, you know, meet the, meet the EGC criteria. Um, and, you know, if a company will qualify as an EGC, there's, there doesn't seem to be any, um, any uh, investor pushback for them to, uh, uh, to take advantage of the EGC, um, uh, the EGC rules. Um, uh, so, you know, if the market is not going to punish you in terms of valuation for delaying that, uh, uh, you know, for delaying that um, 404 attestation report or the market's not going to, the market's certainly not going to punish you for taking advantage of things like, uh, you know, testing the waters, um, you know, you're going to do it. Um, there's no, there's no, there's no hit for it. Um, you know, 
and there's there's uh, you know there there's one section of the Jobs Act that, for example, would would have allowed companies not to um, not to adopt new accounting standards um, that that are proposed, and you know, by and large, companies have opted out of that. Um, so they, people haven't taken advantage of all of the um, the benefits that that were there in the Jobs Act. They've they've been you know they've been thoughtful about which ones they're going to adopt, but the ones that they do adopt, there doesn't seem to be any market penalty for adopting them. You know, I, I, the, the, the clearest reason that I think um, that companies didn't do it is because, let's say you've, uh, you know, let's say you're in an industry, um, you know, with uh, 25 different comps in, in your industry, and, and 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 the other 24 comps are following the new FASB guidance, but you're not. Um, you know, it's just you, people are going to look at your numbers and they're going to be like, okay, well, we see this is what you're reporting, but now can you please tell us what you would have reported if you played by the same rules as everybody else did? So I think I think that that's the main reason why um, you know that little gift in the Jobs Act wasn't something that when companies thought about it very long uh, that that they kind of realized that it didn't make make a lot of sense. Hi, this is Chris Westfall, and we just want to let you know that this podcast and this research report is brought to you by Donnelly Financial Solutions. Donnelly Financial Solutions helps public and private companies meet their evolving business reporting requirements, combining deep regulatory expertise with technical innovation and superior service. Donnelly simplifies the disclosure process, delivering accurate, timely, and secure communications. Venue Deal Solutions provide the tools to take the transaction from start to finish. Deal sourcing, secure online data rooms, contracts and contract analytics, and more. Active Disclosure, Donnelly's cloud-based disclosure management solution, allows you to create, create manage, expirial tag, and SEC file financial reports, giving you complete control over your entire reporting process, incorporating Microsoft's Office tools, and providing industry-leading security. Donnelly Investor Solutions Investor Services can take your proxy statement to the next level and help you optimize your shareholder communications. Its end-to-end annual meeting services are designed to help streamline the entire process with its broker search capabilities, distribution of all proxy materials, real-time online vote results, inspector of election services, final tabulation, and AK filing of results. Again, we want to thank Donnelly Financial Solutions for sponsoring this podcast and this research project. But on the on the funding side, you know, Reg A was A plus was approved in 2015. The crowdfunding rule in 2016. What are the trends uh, from issues that you're seeing uh, for um, using these capital raising mechanisms? You know, they're uh, they're insignificant. I think is the uh, is is really the word for it. Um, People, the, the people who drafted the Jobs Act, I think, had a lot more, um, uh, a lot higher hopes uh, for Reg A plus and and for uh, and for crowdfunding. And I think what you saw in both instances was really, um, uh, you know, the SEC kind of uh, do 
doing what they could to you know push back a little bit on that. Um, you know, it was pretty clear during the the during the uh, congressional hearings over the Jobs Act that the the, the SEC was you know quite. Uh, Concerned about it, quite skeptical about um, a lot of the a lot of the provisions in it, um, and they were clearly skeptical about uh, expanding Reggae Plus uh, or expanding Reggae into Reggae Plus, and, and and even more skeptical about crowdfunding. And so I think um, when 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 the SEC finally um, adopted uh, rules implementing those provisions, um, I think the reaction from from the the, the people that were pushing them. Um, you know, was that you know, the SEC really, uh, you know, stifled what we were trying to accomplish here? I mean, if you look at if you look at Reggae Plus, um, uh, you know, there's Tier One and Tier Two offerings. A Tier One offering is like up to 20 million per year, and a Tier Tier Two offering is up to 50 million per year. Um, but with the Tier One offering, uh, you don't get uh, state blue sky uh, preemption. So, in addition to registering at the SEC, you basically have to go out and register in every state that you want to to offer and sell. Um, with the Tier Two offering, um, you do get the blue sky preemption, but you also become subject to ongoing reporting requirements. Um, they're not as they're not as uh, stringent as the ones that apply to a regular reporting company. But I got to tell you, they're not they're not that uh, uh, they're, they're not that relaxed um, either. So um, we didn't think when the final Reg A Plus rules came out that that they were going to be terribly attractive for uh, a lot of companies. And you know, I've I've, I've seen some statistics about uh, you, you know how many Regulation A Plus offer, how much capital has been raised in Regulation A Plus offerings in the you know sort of the year and a half since the rules became final, and it's it's kind of a drop in the bucket. Um, it's I think the total amount is, you know, around the size of sort of one good size IPO for a regular company. So I, you know, I don't think that um, it's that attractive. Um, yeah, you know, I think if companies want to raise capital, even equity capital, um, and and not enter the the SEC reporting regime, they're probably better off just doing a traditional private placement. And and and, and on that score, um, you know, the Jobs Act actually provided some some very valuable. Um, flexibility there as well by removing the uh, the so-called general solicitation requirement from Reg D offerings for 144A offerings. I think that just removing that general solicitation uh, prohibition, I call it a requirement, it's a prohibition. Removing the general solicitation prohibition, which is basically a prohibition on advertising, um, I, I think that had more of an impact than anything that uh, Congress did uh, pushing the SEC to uh, expand the Regulation A exemption. So they, they, they made they made regular private placements um, easier to, to um, easier to conduct and uh, and probably easier to more successfully conduct. Uh, and 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 looking forward, um, you know, if I if I kind of had a um, you know three wishes that I could uh, uh, get out of the SEC in the in the coming administration, you know, certainly one of them would be you know do more um, you know do more relaxation of 
the very strict rules around communicating, um, you know, communications around an offering. You know, allow companies to to advertise their offerings more broadly. Um, let them talk more about what they're what they're trying to accomplish. Um, you know, don't 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 uh, maintain sort of the eighty year old gag rule that um, that uh, that we've had um, under the federal securities laws. Um, I think that's frankly a lot more um, uh, would be a lot more effective way to sort of uh, ease the ease the restrictions on capital raising than lowering the regulatory burden um, in, the, in the way that they've been you know in the way that the, the Reg A plus um, um, thought that thought that it was going to be doing. Um, at the end of the day, people um, you know, nobody likes regulate you know, nobody likes regulatory reporting requirements, um, but you know without them you know without that constant flow of communication to the market, the market doesn't know how to how to value you. Um, so it, it, it is a, you know, it is a, um, a burden. It is a pain to have to, um, you know, report your, um, you know, report your earnings every three months. But you know, that's you know, the the market needs that information, uh, you know, to to you know, for people to have interest in, in in buying your stock. So that's kind of the bargain that you make with the with the public market. You want you want public capital. You gotta let the public know how you're doing. Um, so I I I wouldn't you know I. I wouldn't focus so much on those rules uh, if I were going to uh, start, uh, you know, figuring out uh, which rules to throw out in line with the president's uh, uh, edict that you have to get rid of two rules for every one rule that you. Um, I'd be I'd be much more worried about sort of the ease with which people can go about raising capital, and that's where I would that's where I'd focus my energies if I were the new SEC. So, do you think it's even worth? Um trying to come up with a solution on the crowdfunding issue? Do you think it, or is, is it just the fact that, you know, just make it easier for private placements and other mechanisms? And, and that's, is that your argument? Well, I tell you what, on crowdfunding, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just too old and I've seen too much. I, my, my fear with crowdfunding is, is that you are going to uh, take a lot of uh, money uh, for sort of unvetted ideas um, from people who you know really can't uh, afford to to uh, to lose it. You know, I'm just not sure what the problem is out there that crowdfunding was designed to to fix. Uh, you know, these are companies that are are taking people's equity capital, um, and who are they getting that equity capital from? They're getting it from you know mom and pop investors. Um, maybe there's a reason. Why these companies aren't being able to, to to get funding from sort of more traditional VC sources? Uh, uh, you know, maybe maybe the the problem is is that the idea isn't actually that good. So I'm just a natural skeptic about crowdfunding. I mean, it, it sounds nice. It sounds you know like it had it has some sort of you know, popular appeal. You know, everybody thinks you know, Kickstarter is a great thing. But you know, if if a company um, hasn't got an idea that's good enough to um, to interest the more traditional sources of private capital out there, like the VC community, uh, then I really question whether whether we ought to be making it all that easy for them to uh, tap into um, you know retail investors who, by definition, don't really know what they're getting into, um, and you know, and and then at the same time, you know, provide um, uh, you know a venue where um, or a mechanism for them to invest in offerings where they're they're 
getting less information. Um, uh, you know, the SEC tried to um, set up a system that would, would have some gatekeepers in it. You know, they tried to set up a system that, um, um, uh, you know, where these funding portals would have some basic uh, due diligence obligations. But to me, you're, you know, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned that uh, small investors are going to be burned by it. And this, 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 the, the amount of money that you can raise through a crowdfunding portal is 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 not, you know, not big enough to, to uh, you know, to, to really, you know, launch a, a business of any of any kind of scale. Um, you know, maybe it's going to be good for the local brewery or um, you know, that that kind of thing. But again, if if, if the idea is to help the local brewery um, raise more money from the local community, I'd rather do that by you know things like uh, uh, making it easier for them to to advertise their their securities offerings rather than, you know, put them into this sort of crowdfunding for, portal. And I, so I, I just, I don't ever see it becoming a, a major source of capital for anybody. So, so if, so if a private company comes to you right now and is looking for, you know, capital raising options, what do you tell them? I mean, at, right at this moment? You know, the, the, the first question will be whether whether they are ready to become a public company or, or whether whether they um, you know who, who what's the investor base they're targeting basically you know if they if they've got a great idea and they've already talked to a couple of uh, venture capitalists uh, and they've got they've got VCs um, or even you know just angel investors that are willing to put some money in um, you know you work with them on that basis um, but if they've matured beyond that and their VCs um, are looking for an exit then you know they we we tell them let's go ahead and go public I don't I can't I can't see us ever saying to somebody um, go the reggae plus route um, um, first of all, it's really not a legal judgment, you know, to, to begin with. It's uh, it, it's clearly a business judgment, you know, whether to go that route. But I think the, you know, if I asked you to name me, you know, five companies that went public through the Reg A, a plus process, you know, maybe you could if you just looked it up. But I couldn't name one. Um, you know, so I think if a company wants to go public, they're kind of, you know, they're going to want to do it the traditional way. They're going to want to do it with. Um, you know, using um, you know, using underwriters, using a regular um, uh, underwritten process, listing on a on a national stock exchange, uh, you know, filing quarterly reports, you know, holding um, you know investor calls, holding analyst calls. So the, you know, the the traditional way, I think, is is still the paradigm. So I guess my, my final question for you is, you know, and this is um, I'm going to ask you to look in the future a little bit. I mean, you, as you mentioned. And, you know, there's some, you know, take, uh, you know, for every new regulation, take two out, that sort of thing. Um, so that's sort of the broader impact of regulation in Washington right now. Do you see any changes happening on the on the uh, IPO or, or capital raising issues for companies uh, as far as regulatory concerns are going right now? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, to, uh, you know, the, the, the point that I made earlier about uh, uh, liberalizing the communication rules, you know, I think would, would be something that the incoming uh, administration could, could look at, you know, make it make it easier for companies to actually conduct the offerings. Uh, and then I think... Um, uh, once a company is public, um, uh, you know, the SEC has for a while been uh, engaged in a process of, 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 you know, asking themselves how to modernize the the uh, the, the disclosure regime, um, 
and Congress in both the Jobs Act and the FAST Act you know, give a pretty clear direction to the SEC to go you know, look through their, their disclosure mandates and see where they can be simplified or you know, eliminating duplicative, duplicative uh, uh, disclosures and things like that. Um, you know, I think it would be there's a, there's a lot there. Um, you know, you know the the SEC's rule book uh, tends to um, to grow. Um, they don't really go back in and prune it very often. Congress has told them to go in and prune it. Um, so I think there are things um, there that the com- that that the SEC could do to um, make it easier for a company once it is public. Um, um, and yeah, I, in other words, I don't think it would be that difficult for uh, incoming Chairman Clayton to uh, to find a bunch of rules to uh, to uh, rescind uh, if if there are in fact any rules that he wants to adopt. Right, right. Great. Those are my questions. Thanks very much. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks.